This podcast is made possible in part by patrons like you. Become a patron today at patreon.com slash binge movies. Transmitting from the last video store in the universe, it's Binge Movies, episode 124. I'm Jason. This is the show that ranks and eliminates movies to determine which ones are worthy of preservation for all time, even beyond the end times. On this episode, we rank Blumhouse films. It's another beautiful day here in sunny tropical Akron, Ohio, stocking shelves, sprinkling, uh, sprinkling carpet deodorizer, trying to drown out the droning moans of former dead co-hosts who, whose spirits haunt my every waking moment. It's beautiful here. But the thing that makes it even more beautiful is our very, very special guest. Perhaps the most handsome wolfman slash doctor slash horror host in all of YouTube. That's right, kids. Gee whiz. It's the Silver Bolo Award-winning horror host, the best thing going today, Dr. Wolfula. Greetings, Jason. I'm your guest, Dr. Wolfula. You did the thing, and I liked it. it yes. Yes, it, it pushes a button. Listen, it's not every day. It's unusual for me to not be a host, admittedly. Well. Not be a guest. Ugh. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I know that you're used to being the one who's in control, and and uh, in many ways, I feel like you still are. Ever since you performed that operation on me to make me subordinate to all of your desires, I, yes. I feel like, really, this is your show now. So if you've ever decided to expand into podcasting, Doc, I'll just hand this right over to you. You can have the store. You can have all the videos. You can have the podcasting equipment. You can have it all. You could be a cartoon. You can be live action. And you could be a podcaster. It's almost like being a real person. Wow. This world is my oyster. <laughs> yeah, I've never been given this much freedom over someone else's freedom. Yes, <laughs> this feels good. Yeah, and I, I have not been coerced in any way. I do have one question, though. This open gash in my head where you performed the surgery, is that ever going to close? Is it ever going to heal? Or um, I'm afraid not, but if you put a hat over it, it's pretty much the same thing as healing over, you know, it just, I think if you put like a fez on, ah. no one will notice. It'll be fine. Yes. It'll be fine. Yes. Yes. That makes perfect sense to me. 
I'm going to buy a Fez right now. We're here to talk about some movies. They're not all technically horror films, but I assume that you like movies that aren't horror movies. Am I wrong? I do appreciate a good non-horror movie every now and then. I mean, in a lot of ways, if you think about it, any movie can be a horror movie. I mean, <laughs> yes. if you really think about it. Yeah. it did you see that? Um, did you see that Jaws film? That's pretty scary. Yeah, but it's not a horror film. Guess what? Sharks are scary. Let me look up Wikipedia right now. Let me see what it called. What it calls Jaws. It calls Jaws a. Wait, where is it? Okay, it calls Jaws a thriller film. Guess what? It's it's thrilling, but it's also scary. It's a horror film. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. What about Follow That Bird? Is that a horror movie? I mean, it's got a gigantic bird in it. That's scary. Have you ever seen that? If I saw a gigantic, like, man-sized bird in real life, I'd shit my pants, admittedly. <laughs> like, I, that's terrifying. I wouldn't be like, oh, that's cute. I'd be like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that's terrifying. Yes, that's very true. That does bring me to a very cogent point, though. I've never seen you beneath the robe, beneath the death shroud that you wear, the death cloak. Uh, are there pants under there? Well, I guess it depends on if my legs are visible in a video, so no. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, I'm looking at my watch, Doc, and you're a very busy man or wolf or doctor or whatever. So without much further ado, I think it's time we get to our rankings. Let's start with 2012's Sinister, which currently has a 63% on Rotten Tomatoes. We are going to love it here. Welcome to your new home, Ashley. Tell your family not to be afraid. Who's Stephanie? She used to live here. We are here to play with you. Have you seen our friend? He's seen you. The previous owners were hung from a tree in our backyard. Get the kids. We have to leave here now. Sinister. Rated R. In theaters October. Sinister was directed by Scott Derrickson, written by C. Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson. It is the triumphant return of Ethan Hawke, last seen in Explorers. It's the triumphant return of Vincent D'Onofrio, last seen in Full Metal Jacket. It's the triumphant return of Fred Thompson, last seen in Die Hard 2, Die Harder. This movie was released March 11th, 2012 at South by Southwest and October 12th, 2012 say that five times fast, in the United States, on a budget of $3 million, it made $87.7 million. Has-been true crime writer moves his family into a murder house and doesn't even once think about starting a podcast. <laughs> it's also the triumphant return of Bagul, who didn't really return from anything. I guess it's his debut, Yeah, right. but I kind of wanted to stick to the theme of uh, returns. I I see. Yes, in a way, it is a triumphant return of Bagul because he's opening portals to the souls of children everywhere. Yes. Let's start off by the, the fact that this, this movie is the first film of a film critic by the name of C. Robert Cargill, who would go on to work on several other films, including uh, the first Doctor Strange. Many people who would listen to a podcast like this may know him as a podcaster for a show called Junk Food Cinema. He's done it for, I don't know, about a decade now. And before that, he was a part of Spill.com and uh, has just kind of, uh, was just, uh, you know, a guy, just a guy reviewing movies. 
But he ended up writing this script, partnering up with a buddy of his named Scott Derrickson, and he made this movie. So as a uh, something of a uh, film guy, podcast guy myself, I reached out to Mr. Cargill, lieutenant of Megaforce, and I asked him for a quote from this. Like, what, 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 are you, what is your takeaway from this movie that you wrote? And this is what he said. He said, Sinister was scary for me because I felt it was my one shot to prove myself. I could succeed and move on in my career or fail and crawl back to film critique as someone who proved they weren't good enough to cut at making films, but still felt he could slag them. Terrifying. It is terrifying, and it is a perfect description of my life. Those are some high stakes, damn. <laughs> he, 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 they are high stakes, and they also were high enough stakes that threw me into an existential crisis. So if I sound a little down <laughs> in this episode, Doc, just modulate my brain for me, okay? Well, there's hope for all of us. <laughs> Hopefully someday we will be all making our own films, like Sir Robert Cargill here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm assuming he was knighted. He's... He's no, he wasn't. Oh, he's from Austin. Never mind. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Sir, Sir Robert Cargo fits though, doesn't it? In my kingdom, he is a knight. Oh, you do have a castle, the Wolfular Castle Wolfular. So, yeah. Robert Cargill is a knight now. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Now, when you knight somebody, I assume it's not a sword because that wouldn't really make sense. Is it a severed limb? Is it one of uh, Goulash's uh, defunct arms or something? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you use tonight, a, a, a film critic, podcaster, slash screenwriter, like Mr. Sir uh, Robert Cargill? Uh, usually it's just the back scratcher I use to uh, <laughs> scratch my uh, private areas, but uh, I suppose I probably uh, should pan- stop using that. Yeah, your pantsless area, yeah. Yes. Okay, this movie to me, it feels like a combination of like an art house drama slash low grade snuff 70s style exploitation footage film. And somehow that combination of those two things captures kind of the heart of this. Wait, have you seen this before? Is this your first time watching it? What's your history with it? And what do you think this movie is? I saw it a few years ago before this recent viewing mm-hmm. a few days ago, and I thought the first half was really great. Yeah. But then once Bagul shows up for me, he just looks like if the crow melted, like he looks like a rejected member of Slipknot. Like I'm not I wasn't so into the Bagul stuff, but the atmosphere at the beginning with Ethan Hawke. And yeah. Just looking at this, these snuff tapes on Super 8, the Super 8 footage is amazing. Like the found footage aspects are really great. Like it looks cool and it's creepy and it's very relatable because I think we've all found ourselves up, up late at night watching something creepy. Yeah, that we found in And then we become paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not, well, I guess in my attic, I, I don't know how relatable it is. Other people's addicts, but just something online or something would be we become paranoid that the horror is coming for us. But then it turns out to be Bagul, and it's just like, uh, it sounds like bagel. Like anytime I think of Bagul, it makes me hungry. Yeah, bagel. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Okay, so can I ask you a question? You are a horror movie aficionado. Is uh, the creepy music on the reel to reel films? Is it diegetic or non-diegetic music? 
because the creepy music only plays while he's watching the reel to reel, the eight millimeter films, right? So, I, did they uh, did they add the creepy horror movie music in post to the does does Bagul add it or did the 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 mm. killer children add that music? Well. I think it's just there for us, the audience's creepy sound, because realistically, those those home videos don't have any sound. So you have to have a separate. It is just a stylistic thing. Yeah, you'd have to have a separate cassette tape and play it. Yeah, right, tracked to the thing. Uh, to me, it's that, just for our benefit. To to let I guess I guess maybe Jason Blum was like, audiences are too stupid. You got to put something creepy, creepy sounds in there to get across that it's scary it's like a laugh track for audiences okay that's my point right that's my point and you you very you got there very quickly so would it i like that portion of the movie like you said i think the first half's definitely stronger than the bagul portion i think it definitely captures like the dread of being a failure in your life and the links that you'll go to to if you've if you've tasted success what you would do and ironically, like it's kind of forward thinking accidentally, I think about you think about how many true crime podcasts there are, true crime shows, kind of the links, the unsavory links that people are going to to exploit like real horrific events, like real trauma in the world to just create content. And there's something really kind of fucked up about all that. And that's here. That's in. That's in this movie. And all of that works really well. And the family dynamic, and the drama, and the wife. And I think she's great. And we'll we'll get into the strength of the screenplay. But then when it gets to the horror elements, I think it kind of like goes a little dumb. Where it it has to, like you said, where it's like, well, it's not enough that we're seeing very creepy, snuff-like, disturbing. <laughs> home videos that have these innocuous if not cutesy titles and that are filled with pretty creepy images it's not enough that the images are creepy we've got to have a creepy soundtrack to tell you this is the part of the movie where you're supposed to be scared i didn't think it needed it i think the movie was strong enough yeah. visually we didn't need this fucking music it just did that did that it just kind of took me out of the movie i'm like why are we playing this creepy music did that bother you at all or am i just nitpicking here it definitely, I don't know, it's something that it occurs to people who are a little bit more familiar with, you know, the technical aspects of Super 8 uh, reels and just like, you know, just, just aware of that technical aspect. I think it is just for the sake of a general audience yeah. that, you know, they they kind of stretch, they, they stretch belief a little bit uh People who do notice are like, what is going on? But most people aren't going to notice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. The, so but my, oh, go, go ahead. If, if, if that's a weakness, I do think there are some strengths, okay? I think the screenplay mercifully avoids a lot of horror cliches that we see again and again. For instance, in all of these horror movies, there's the cop or the authority figure that doesn't believe in what's going on. There's nothing going on here. There's nothing to see here. Jason Voorhees is dead. You're just a sick boy and you need to be in a mental hospital or whatever. But in this movie, if it's not like the sheriff, it's the deputy or whatever, uh, he's like kind of believing and actually helpful to the investigation process, which I thought that was Oh, nice. you mean the deputy? Yeah, the deputy, right. 
Yeah, the sheriff is like just like just Get the fuck out of town. like <laughs> he doesn't even talk to them about any any no. spooky stuff besides just there were murders here. Just go. You're 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 just being a little a little too uh, exploitative yeah. here. Just 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 go. <laughs> go back to your mansion. And that's something that always yes. like makes me laugh at the end of the movie. They live in a mansion like yeah. It's like why are you worried about me? like be a teacher and live in your mansion. It's whatever. <laughs> Apparently they own the mansion, lock, stock, and barrel too. So I well, well, that, okay. So yeah, that that okay. That's another weakness you just pointed out. Where it's like they're like, well, this is as poor as we've ever been. We got we had to buy this house because we, it was a deal we couldn't pass up because it's a murder house. And he's also like, I can buy this murder house and I can base my next true crime book. I wrote this true crime book, you know, ten years ago, whatever. I had my moment in the sun. Then I decided to write fiction. Everybody thought it, it sucked. Nobody bought it. Nobody cared. So I got to go back to true crime. And I'm going to move into this murder house because it's dirt cheap. And in the meantime, money's real tight because I'm waiting on my next book deal. And I'm and he says, like, we're paying two mortgages. The thing that I don't understand is their other house, like you said, is a giant fucking mansion. If money is that tight, sell the mansion. I like, I like, <laughs> It's and, it, and it, does it only exist in this movie so that the climax could happen in a big empty it's spooky sorta, mansion? It's sort of strange because it's like he doesn't tell his wife this information, and the wife is just completely ignorant of a- anything going on with his his current assignment. Like, yeah, to me, it's just like a little weird how it's how it's just like. Yeah, we're moving into this shittier house, but it'll help me. It's in proximity yeah, to, to the scary stuff. Yeah. But don't well, actually she doesn't she's surprised that it's in proximity. So she <laughs> it seems like it's implied that she doesn't even know that like any information at all. Like so there she's kind of just going in blind, moving to the shittier house from their mansion. It's kind of strange. I always, I feel like it I guess if you treat it more realistically you'd probably be like well why doesn't the why doesn't ethan hawk just rent this place out and just like spend a few months here so like if you just go more practically but of course there's no conflict if you kind of explore it in a more practical sense um i feel like yeah they shouldn't have been in a mansion they should have been in they like there should have been more of a, a sense that they are definitely in dire straits for sure so I feel like the only reason why they need another house at all is because that's how Bagul works, apparently, right? Is you have to, like, pick up the Bagul curse in one house, then carry it to another house, and that's when he gets you. That's when he takes effect. That's when one of your kids kills the rest of the family and gets sucked into Bagul world. And that's kind of the third act twist of the movie, which is fine. Yeah. But again, they could have gone to, like, a, a nicer home, uh, I guess, uh, or whatever, but it, I, I just, I didn't like it. It took this weird leap, like you said, where all of a sudden we get to the third act and they're in this giant gothic mansion. And I'm like, what? I'm actually not sure. I, I have not seen the sequel. So maybe, maybe it was a choice to have the house be a mansion. So just for the sake of like the sequel, cause they're like, I'm assuming that, Part of the sequel takes place in that mansion. Then, if I think it would that's have how to, it works, right? if it yeah. if it does like if that's how Bagul spreads across the country, which is kind of strange. How Bagul is kind of just 
he's like this ancient demon from Samaria yes. or whatever, but he's like isolated to the United States of America for some reason. Uh, How did that happen? <laughs> he doesn't seem to have any like. I guess maybe like those are the most recent kids, and the older ancient kids are like all drained up after like thousands <laughs> of years. I suppose. Yeah. It does make you wonder, like, how did Bagul cross continents before before eight millimeter? Was he like jumping into black and white photos before that? Was it like like was it like boardwalk caricatures? Like he has to he's associated with images. If you see an image that's cursed by Bagul, that image becomes a gateway. And he snatches kids and he keeps them near him so he can drain them of their life force. So okay, that I guess it all kind of makes sense, but. How did he go from ancient Samaria to from like cave paintings and hieroglyphs to eight millimeter? And why did he not convert to beta or VHS? Hmm. I mean, I think I, I, I want to imagine a future where Blu-ray will be considered a scary format. <laughs> where I found a haunted Blu-ray, like at a time when we, we don't have any physical media at all. It's just like... Ah, Blu-ray. There's a hidden special feature on a Blu-ray, and that's the thing that summons Bagul. But I have no idea. Like, I guess, I guess, yeah, I have no idea how he would have entered modern uh, modern era. Like, it feels like, I don't know, Bagul was very underthought. I didn't really like Bagul at all. I, or at least if Bagul is going to be in the movie, I would have preferred it to be a little bit more ambiguous. Yeah, Cause it's like, right. Like the idea of a, of demons and ghosts is scary, but it's also scary. The idea that what if it is just this person or group of people who is ritualistically murdering and abducting, murdering people and abducting children over the course of decades and maybe trying to make it look like it's this ancient demon. And it's scary. It's scarier still if it's like you don't know which it is yeah. by the end of the movie. But the movie makes a clear statement that no, it is this Bagul character who is. I mean, even with like the Exorcist, they have like a real demon basis. Pazuzu is a real demon right. based in history, but Bagul, it felt like, well, we want to have our own take on like a Freddy Krueger horror icon type of character. Yeah. But it, I don't see Bagul anywhere. Like he didn't, he obviously didn't take off. Like I feel like people no. were more, more drawn to like just the cool super eight footage and the atmosphere and the performances by Ethan Hawke and Juliet Rylance. Like, I yeah. don't know if they were so into Bagul. I just never hear about him. And I'm always surprised that the, the villain in this movie is named Bagul. And he just looks like, a fucking uh, just a, a Molgoth. Like, I don't know, like a Molgoth on Halloween. It's just he, uh. he kind of he kind of looks like either the character that Meatloaf played. And I would do anything for love. R.I.P. Meatloaf. That music video. Or uh, he looks like the guy from Subspecies, the full moon vampire series, yeah. the main vampire. That's kind of what he looks like. He looks like a Romanian vampire from a full moon from a Charles Band film. I found out, and I couldn't find the picture, but I found out that the basis for Bagul, the look of Bagul, is the, the I guess the writer of the movie, either Scott Derrickson or Cargill, they found like just a creepy image on Flickr, and they paid like the person who made the image like $500. I don't know what the image looks like. I tried to look it up, but 
Like, so they just found like a, a, just a spooky bit of makeup online. And we're just like, and I guess screwed the creator of it too. Like $500 <laughs> on a movie that cost, that cost $3 million and got like nearly a hundred million back. Like screwed, screwed over that guy. Like, but it's just like, like, you're making a $3 million movie. You don't need to be like scrounging Flickr for like designs. <laughs> like, come on, you could probably get somebody to come up with a better design than Bagul. Like, uh. okay. It sounds like we're to use the terms of Sir Robert Cargill. It sounds like we're slagging the movie. So I do want to say a couple more positive, I, a couple more positive things I actually liked. I rate this movie highly. I just don't like Bagul. Like, yeah, it's just right. the, the one flaw with the movie for me. <laughs> well, I'm 100% on board with you that like the unknown is so much better. Like that's the first half of the movie where it's like we don't we don't exactly know what's happening before uh, uh, you know D'Onofrio shows up on Zoom and oh, yeah. tells us everything we need to know. Like that's the creepy element, and then. One of the other things I like about it is it has the trope of like the seemingly possessed kid, but the twist is it's the other one. It's the seemingly normal kid who's actually being possessed right under your nose the whole time. So like the kid that's having new nightmare style seizures and visions and hallucinations and whatever and night terrors, it's not that kid. That kid ends up dead. <laughs> Spoilers. It's yeah. the other kid. It's the sweet, innocent kid who's the one that's possessed. And I think that the movie does, like, you take the Bagul element of it out, I think that, like, thematically, it, it works, right? Thematically, there's this connection yes. between the choices of Ethan Hawke and the actions he's seen on the video and what Bagul does. It's all about the sacrifice of family, and it's about the loss of children. And his wife has an almost two on the nose, but not quite uh a line about like like don't sacrifice your kids for this like they're young they're only going to be this age once it's going to go by fast like don't miss out on their childhoods and um but he's so consumed with this other thing that he's he's you know it it literally ends up getting his, his family killed and himself and it's like the evil of ambition that sacrifices family and children that kind of a thing and you could almost see it as like a child revenge film of like, um, or as, as like what children lose as being enslaved to the, the needs of adults, you know, because children can't really speak up for themselves, all this sort of stuff. So I asked Cargill about that. I said, look, like what, how much of you is in the, the guy, Scott? Like how much of you is in Ethan Hawke's character? And uh, uh, he's like, uh, Ellison, rather, is his name. And he's like, this is what his reply. Ellison is the guy Scott and I never wanted to become, someone for whom fame and status was more important than family. All of his choices are the ones we hoped we would never, ever make for ourselves. So I... But yet we did. We chose Bagul. <laughs> and he consumed our lives. No, no, no. <laughs> and I thought, like, okay, that was sort of my synopsis of the movie or my read of the movie before I even reached out to Cargill. So, uh, so I think those themes do come through. Um, what do you make of that? Is that, is that, is it, is it as obvious to you? Is it too obvious that that's what it's about? Did it need to be more subtle? Did, did any of that kind of more family drama horror aspect of it work for you? Well, yeah, when you frame it like that, it definitely all comes back to Ethan Hawke's 
pursuit of fame and success and how he kind of lost track. Like he even has like an interview earlier in the movie where it's like, oh, no, I'm always going to put my family first. Uh, never fame. But then I guess he kind of just was like, well, I kind of I'm not getting as many followers on Twitter lately. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make another book or something. Like, I could only keep making money off to Kentucky blood royalties for so long. Movie didn't take off, so we gotta, <laughs> I gotta make the, gotta make the movie about the family who gets hung in the backyard and try to, try to find this little girl. Uh, but yeah, you can definitely. It all comes back to it with like Bagul, how he, how he, pretty much literally destroys the family. But I. I guess I don't know. I guess we don't know a lot of context about about the other families before them. All we know is just right. how they get killed. Like what what kind of situations they were in, I suppose. Hmm. I honestly I hope I probably I mean it probably wouldn't have been as like as like thrilling or cinematic, but I part of me would have liked to just watch a movie where it's just like researching these fucked up murders and finding finding out. I guess maybe turning it into more of like a more of like a mockumentary found footage movie and how I, I mean, I guess it totally could be a found footage yeah. sort of podcast hybrid movie. And it's just like Blair Witch Project where it's like, maybe, maybe we had some kind of contact with Bagul, but you know that it you're right, didn't happen right now. You're giving Blumhouse all kind of ideas about a podcast <laughs> style found footage, Bagul origin prequel series. Well, and they can't have it, so that's just how it is. <laughs> Apparently, they're going to make. They were trying to make for years. They were trying to make like a a crossover with Insidious, the other, the other, yeah. pretty much, pretty much like a synonym for fucking sinister. Like, <laughs> I always get, I always get sinister, Insidious, and The Conjuring confused. Absolutely, like me too. Uh, it's just which one is which? Oh yeah, okay, it's that one. It's the Bagul one. Is sinister. Okay. Oh, and which one is the one with uh, with with the fucking what's his name? Patrick. Uh, whatever. Oh, I don't you're know. talking about sure. Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson. Yeah, Patrick Wilson. The- oh, which one? Which of the Patrick Wilson movies is this? Is this The Conjuring or Insidious? Like, it's like I feel like they cast the same people over and over again. Like, oh my god. Uh, um, Sinister. I actually coinciding with this podcast. I decided to record a video of Sinister, so I have a review that's currently being edited. Oh, very nice. So that'll probably be out by the time this episode drops. So, Okay, if you had to give this a score out of 10, what would you give it, and where does it rank for you? I would give Sinister an 8 out of 10, and out of the five movies presented, I would rank it number 2. Wow! that's The score throws me off, because it's higher than mine. But the ranking throws me off because it's it's uh, or those, I think your what was your score again? What did you say? I gave it an eight out of ten. Yeah. Okay. So you're probably I don't know I don't know if we have like point decimal yeah, oh, yeah, points yeah, or do, anything. Yeah. But no, no, I don't I don't I don't want to go that convoluted. <laughs> okay. Probably would be closer to a seven point five. But uh, well, I'm that go is eight. exactly what I gave it. I am convoluted. That's the name of the game here at Binge Movies. <laughs> I gave it a seven point five, Doc. But that's only my f- number four. For the week, I did not. Uh, it's it, it it comes apart. I think it has a very strong ending. 
uh, ex- not the very, very ending, which feels like that Christmas, the Krampus Christmas movie, where all the toys jump out the screen. I don't need yeah. the weird digital bagul jump scare. I thought that was not. That felt like something from the internet. Um, I, but the atmosphere at the beginning, like you said, the performances, the ideas, I guess what I'm saying is the psychological horror of the movie is definitely stronger for me than the horror horror, if that makes any sense. So the more overt horror, the more overt, you know, monster movie, demon movie, once that comes to the forefront and it is, like you said, explicitly spelled out, it kind of loses something. This is number four for me. It's a 7.5. Let's move on to our next film, Oh Buddy. We're talking about 2013's The Purge, which currently has a 39% on Rotten Tomatoes. Reminder, the annual purge has commenced. For the next 12 hours, all crime is legal. Emergency services will be suspended. Anybody tries to come in, you blast them. Everything is going to be okay. Nothing is going to be okay again. The Purge, rated R. The Purge was directed by James DeMonico. It was written by James DeMonico. It is the triumphant return of Lena Headey, last seen in Dread. It was released May 2nd, 2013 at the Stanley Film Festival and June 7th, 2013 in the United States. On a budget of $3 million, we notice a little trend here, it had a box office return of $89.3 million. Neocons make America great again by limiting their mass murders and overt racism to once a year. Doc, the most fantastical element here is assuming that right-wingers could manage to only be lawless one day a year. Do they not pay their taxes only on Purge Day in this world? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I'd hope so. Or I wouldn't (laughs) hope so. I don't know. I mean, this Purge world seems pretty nice, except for, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the murders and stuff Pur- but purge world okay it's what yeah you know in 20 20- i mean i mean it it takes place this year so I i'm know. assuming we're going to be entering purge world soon i mean it's got i mean it takes place on like march 25th i think so we got we they gotta get started on the purge yeah. pretty soon or else <laughs> this movie is going to be really outdated this movie's not going to be near future it's going to be going to be alternate timeline and no one likes that as much yeah alternate timelines are not nearly as fun as near futures you're exactly right this movie opens by telling us it's 2022 the united states is said to become virtually crime free with a with legal unemployment rates having dropped to only one percent as i was watching this i thought who knew the purge would be an optimistic view of 2022 if in 2013 you came to me and said this is the best timeline this is the best possible version of 2022 the 2022 you're going to be living in is worse than the purge 2022 i wouldn't have believed it if they just introduce the purge everything will be everything will be solved like no more problems just just one day just let me go out and curb stomp an elderly person (laughs) And just get away with it. Like, come on, just we're purging. Come on. Like, 
it works. I'm assuming it only gets better from this film forward. Like it all just works out. Like we end up seeing a much more functional society. I mean, I think in this movie they're kind of working through some of the kink still with this purge stuff. But in more ways than I think, one. I think I think by the final movie, I think they're gonna finally figure out how to make it work where it's just fair to everybody. Like, come on. Because it's clearly there's clearly a disparity between the classes. So, you know, yeah. just gotta just gotta work that out. Like, no more security systems. Everybody has to go outside. You can't be inside. You can't just like gather everybody by force. And then just have them start killing each other. Like, there we go. And whoever survives, it'll be like, it'll be like Thunderdome. Like, yes, right. Only it won't be two men enter, one man leaves. It'll be like all men enter, some men. It'll leave. be like a billion people enter and five hundred million people leave, <laughs> like something like that. Yeah. Or even better, like two hundred and fifty million people leave. Like you know. I think yeah, I think it could work. I think what you're describing is genocide. No, no, no. Genocide is <laughs> when it's not an even playing field. I see. It's you know, it's like Thunderdome, just on a larger scale. Like maybe build build like a gigantic Thunderdome okay. in the middle of the country. And I'm going to copyright this idea for <laughs> a film. So <laughs> I guess it's Hunger Games. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's Hunger or, Games. Never mind. Or, or, it's not going to work. Yeah, or uh, Battle Royale, or yeah, yeah Logan's yeah. Run, or uh, but with millions of people. Okay, this mo right. this movie would be a lot more interesting to me if the people who populated this world seemed remotely like real people. Yeah, they're all caricatures. That's the problem. I mean, the family—they're kind of. They're kind of slightly less caricature than the antagonists. Or the neighbors. And, or the neighbors. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, It's all very God. hokey, their dialogue. And it's just, I felt like they put a lot of thought into the world building, but they put no thought into these characters oh. and what they'd be like in this world. It's just, ugh. Okay. So as I'm sitting there watching this, and this is, you know, I watched it when it first came out. And I thought in 2013 especially I thought that this was, it was a, at that time, a kind of fresh spin on an idea, right? Like we kind of got yeah. into it. You know, there's obviously been a bunch of movies that have, that have been about like the Hunger Games and Logan's Run. That's not really what this is. And I thought it was like, okay, this is a perfect opportunity to, to do what I think horror movies or movies that are horror adjacent or have horror elements do so well. It's what something like Black Mirror and in, in the good seasons and the good episodes does so well. It's what like the Twilight Zone does so well. It's it's what fiction does so well, especially like speculative near future, like semi dystopian fiction is it has something to say about the world in which you presently live and it projects it out in a fantastical way and almost takes it almost to the point of absurdity or takes it to the point of hyperbole. And like it reflects back into yourself and you go, oh my gosh, like we're, you know, we're the monsters, right? So <laughs> um, this, so the idea here, the premise here is so solid that I don't know if, I know and they didn't do it in this movie and I've seen a lot of the other sequels. I don't think they've ever delivered on the, the potential brilliance of the actual premise. 
Yeah, I've never seen the sequels myself, so I can't comment on it. But I don't think they delivered it here. I it's, feel it's like squandered. an issue an issue with this first movie is it focuses on a on on a not so like a, a not very relatable ultra rich family that sells security systems to their go. neighbors. Like I can't really relate to them. And the only character you can relate to is the homeless veteran that infiltrates their house through the sun letting him in but the problem is that he's not really a character Bingo. he is just a plot device he's like a symbolic representation of humanity's inhumanity to man and eventually is like a deus ex machina like but he's not really a character like they don't really have like a connection where they like oh i suddenly see this guy as as an equal to me in this messed up society we're all just trying to survive this night but it ultimately just they just don't really have any connection and he barely has dialogue. Like it's all a lot of missed opportunities for like character development and eh, it's whatever. <laughs> no, that's it's a squandered opportunity, like you said, for a more clever screenwriter to comment on political policies, human depravity, race, fear of people of color, economic disparity. All that sort of stuff. And I think if you take the stranger, right, that the homeless veteran who is a victim of these psychopaths and you make him, at least through the progression of the film, especially after a certain point when Ethan Hawke is fucking killed, I think if you push him forward as the protagonist, not just as, like you said, the deus ex machina, because you're 100% you're, you're right. He's the inciting incident. And he's the deus ex machina, and he just walks out of the picture, and he has no or barely any dialogue. He contributes nothing. He disappears for entire stretches of the movie. The it's not yeah, even he's that, treated as like a spooky thing in their house for a lot of the movie. And yeah, I'm like, this guy is just like he's just like a normal dude. Like why is he like oh no, there's a black guy in my house. Oh, I gotta kill like, it. Well, see that that's the other oh, thing, man. right? Okay, if you're gonna do that. Do something with it, right? Like, if you're going to be like, oh, my God, there's this there's this black guy in my house, and that freaks me out. Have something to say. Have something intelligent. Like, what is... Because the whole movie, right, the idea of The Purge, it's like a socially conscious commentary movie, and they forgot to make the social commentary beyond the most blunt version of it, which is, like, rich white people are bad. Conservatives are bad. And it's like, okay, a lot of people already agree with that. So uh, economic disparity is bad. Racism is bad. Yeah, we, we get it. There's so much more in the context of the purge world that you could explore those themes and those ideas to really draw out, you know, in a non-caricature way, something of meaning and also make a very tense siege movie. Because one of my favorite genres of movies or subgenres is the Siege film. I love, like, you know, the original Sullivan Precinct 13 and so many other great movies. And a lot of horror movies, they become Siege films, the Evil Dead films, right? We got a, a lot of uh, uh, the first uh, Night of the Living Dead, right? We got to hold up in this house and we've got to, we're under siege and we've got to find a way to survive. That can be thrilling. That could be filled with tension and horror and man's inhumanity to man, like you said. And But they just leave all of that fucking unexplored yeah it's like like for instance like you have the son who looks like a little tommy Wiseau, and he's shown <laughs> he with does. like i guess he makes like some kind of 
Sid from Toy Story little toy 100%. car abomination. <laughs> yeah. But all it's used for is just to like try to find the black guy in their house. Like, <laughs> but to me, yeah. it felt like okay, maybe he could use that to kind of like I guess use his ingenuity to maybe help figure out traps or something. I guess it would become too much like Home Alone, but in the Purge. But at least it would be, I guess, something for this character to do. Like it felt at least use it once or something for that purpose. But nope. Yeah, it. I don't know. Like it felt like there was a lot of missed opportunities. And ultimately in this first movie, it does just feel like a very straightforward home invasion movie where the Purge, the concept of the movie is pretty much just used to explain well why are the police not contacted and also it's just kind of it's kind of just set dressing for the villains who are like just these over-the-top like college students that are just like give us the swine we want the swine (laughs) like just these nerds like we want to kill the swine like they're just so basic like there's just nothing to them like we want to cleanse ourselves like it's just I don't know. It's just goofy. Like, I don't know. Okay. What was the first movie to have polite masked psychopaths performing a home invasion? We got funny games, both versions, the original in the U S the strangers. There's, there's more because it, they're definitely long before this movie. And that's, what's kind of the bummer, right? Is you come up with this original concept. And like you said, it just ends up being, this family of rich assholes, we never interrogate. The term we would use now is like white privilege. We never inter- interrogate their privilege. There's no commentary provided, even though that seems to be the point of the movie. And then the villains end up just being stock characters. Like Cabin in the Woods literally has these stock characters <laughs> that get set loose from the horror movie uh, Eldritch God Factory. And they're just walking. Like that's exi- like. These nerdy, preppy killers with creepy, childish masks and whatever the fuck. Like, by even what by the masks supposed to be like, that's something I can't quite put my finger on. It, it looks like a scary Tom Cruise mask, but I'm not <laughs> sure. Well, what it's supposed it is. to be it that, just like, looks like plastic surgery. I don't know. That's what it's, I think it's what it's supposed to be, though. It's like this, the, like this really like, like forced, like like a cadaverous grin of like rich whiteness. I think is what it's supposed to be. Okay. I guess like just, this is what we are. So let's just put on masks. Like just, yeah. The the guy takes off the mask and he's like, Oh yeah, that pretty much just looks like him. I think that's it. Smiling. I I think that's it though. Right. I think (laughs) that's it is that it's just a slightly more exaggerated version of his own face. But, but we've seen, how many fucking thrillers and horror movies and whatever, even before this movie comes out, with those exact same, like, the so quasi-eloquent, like, preppy sociopaths yeah. invading a house. It's like, this is what you did with your concept of The Purge? You just made another Funny Games? Like, what, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I don't know. I think they had, they were on to something with the finale with... The irony being that their neighbors are the ones who are coming after them, but that's just that, like that should have oh, been the point. These are the real villains the whole time. Like, um, yeah. What it fe- I, what, I don't know. What it almost yeah. feels like is it feels like somebody wrote either a piece of short fiction or a movie short, like a short screenplay for a short. How many times can I say that? Yeah. And then they were like, "This is a really novel idea." 
we're going to put a little bit of money behind it, but it's, it's got to be up to feature length. And so then they added like stock, especially like early 2010s, stock thriller villain characters. And they take up most of the runtime. And there's like all these little odds and ends that don't equal anything like the boyfriend who sneaks in during the purge, but then is just immediately killed. And he's like, I'm going to, I talk to your dad, but he's really there to kill the dad, but the dad kills him. But there's what, what is, what is the significance of that? What does that mean? Like, what does it accomplish? What is it? How does it affect Ethan Hawke's relationship with his estranged teen daughter? It doesn't. What is it? So what was the point of it? What did it do? It, it did nothing. But it, it yeah, ate, what was up with that? It ate time. Boyfriend. Like it, it ate time. It just like, I guess complicated the situation a little bit more, but. It would have been more complicated I mean, I, I like if he's the ticking time, if the threat is already in the house and they don't realize it, right? But the, he's dispatched. I guess if he was one of the people who are outside. Bingo. And, he, and then he lets them inside. Bingo. I suppose that that could work better. But yeah, he is just like he just gets killed. It feels like an excuse to separate the characters more than just yep. lead to something interesting happening where you're like or where you're like they're worried about like this black guy in the house. But they should actually be worried about this white dude that's in their house. That's like I, I'm assuming of their same like social yeah, class right. that's actually going to be fucking them over. But no, it is just he gets just shot like he gets a little pot shot on uh, Ethan Hawke. But otherwise, it doesn't really lead to anything interesting at all. It doesn't lead to anything. Then we get the introduction of the stranger and you think, OK, this is what the movie is going to be. You know, this guy and the kid's going to take a shine to him and and. It's going to create tensions within the family, and maybe the the family will start looking towards him for guidance instead of Ethan Hawke because Ethan Hawke's a piece of shit and, he, and he's he's a lying salesman. And there's there's going to be like family drama tension as there's a siege outside. Like there's a smarter way to do this movie. It's like really interesting. They didn't do it. Instead, he just disappears. Then they're scared that there's a black guy in the house, which. <laughs> ought to be a commentary for something. But again, all of these things I think are just to eat time until you get to the end, which like you said, the real antagonist is the bitch neighbor and her friends. They're the real antagonist, but their screen time is a little bit at the beginning and a little bit at the end. And then we literally fast forward. We fade, we crossfade from night to day. So we <laughs> never see them like, the tension of like who's the gun and who's going to remain in control and what's going to happen. We just fade right past it. There's, there's a very quick, like a kerfuffle between the two women and then it's over. And then the, and then the stranger just walks out the door and it's like every time it, 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 it skipped every opportunity to be the movie it was setting up. And instead it's just this like bizarre stock kind of boring movie in the middle it, it it's just it's a waste of fucking time honestly <laughs> it was just such a waste of time it it feels like ethan hawk was really cruising in this movie like he was like yeah. okay you gotta kill me as soon as possible because i gotta shoot the ending of boyhood in a few <laughs> weeks so i gotta get ready for that i gotta shoot my final my final year of boyhood it's a good point i don't have any time for fucking purge <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, yeah. He's doing Boyhood and The Purge at this at the same time. I, you know, that's that's actually a very good point. Um, for me, I give this a three point five out of ten. It is my worst of the week. This movie uh, stinks. 
uh, and it's it stinks because I think of almost all of the movies on our list. I think it's got the best idea. It's got the best premise, but it's the least realized. There's some movies on this list that have really dopey, stupid premise, but they're executed at such a better level. Just definitely well, like more well thought out and better characters. And um, yeah, it's just what, what a disappointment. How about you? What is it? What's your score? What's your rank? I give The Purge a five out of ten. And I rank it number five out of the five movies presented in this uh, podcast. You know, I, I, I feel like it wasn't so it wasn't super bad, but it wasn't good either. It's just really middle of the road. Like it's a functional movie, but it just it's nothing in it is really memorable to me. It's one of those worst case scenarios where it's like, yeah, it just you're just left with like feeling nothing. Like I don't. I didn't hate the experience of watching it, but I just it just didn't really do anything for me ultimately. So yeah, just middle of the road score ultimately. Yep. Well, let's move on to a movie with a director who's got some ups and some downs. We're talking about 2016's Split, which currently has a 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. What a twist. <laughs> Hello, I've been abducted with two other girls. M. Night Shyamalan, the master of suspense behind the sixth sense, signs, and unbreakable. He's got multiple personalities. Takes you inside the human mind. My name is Jay. Patricia, Dennis. For his most twisted thriller yet. We have to turn them against each other. Someone's coming for you. Who's coming? Split. Split was directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was written by M. Night Shyamalan. It's the triumphant return of James McAvoy, last seen in X-Men Apocalypse. I think that's right. It was released September 26, 2016 at Fantastic Fest and January 20th, 2017 in the United States. On a budget of $9 million, this movie made $278.5 million. Three teen girls are abducted by a man on the eve of a monstrous transformation. I want you to get your binge books out, binge lords, because this is the binge movie's debut of Anna Taylor-Joy. I think this movie has an absolutely killer start to it. I love the start of the movie. Because uh, if a movie in the first five to ten minutes can hook me in, then I'm pretty well along for the ride, unless it really flecks up or falls apart at some point. And this movie just... it it. It's, this was like the, in my mind, this is almost like the M. Night Shyamalan that we were promised in the late 90s who just like disappeared into the happenings and just. Last Airbender. Right. He, he was on a last airbender for a few years. <laughs> he was really yes. just fucking up. Yeah. His career was in a last airbender because it was gasping. And now he's in air. a, now he's in a comfortable place where every other movie is good or okay and then every other movie is like okay whatever it's <laughs> yeah <laughs> at he's, least he's back to that he's, yeah he's either making like decent to like oh it's, it's all right to just absolute shit uh again or just like uh it's pretty bad but uh but this was like this seemingly came out of nowhere he'd been on a run i guess before this he had the visit i think it's before this one and that was like moderately successful and people were like oh it's like cute it's pretty good nice twist that was his redemption arc right then he comes out with this movie, and you're like, what the fuck is this? And it's completely built around the performance of James McAvoy. 
and yes. the strength of what he's doing. And there's some thematic strength here too. But before we get into the serious stuff, I have to ask you a question. And I might be insane, but I rewound it about five times. I recorded it and sent it to somebody and said, I need you to listen to this and tell me if I'm wrong. At 11 minutes and 35 seconds, the doctor is in her kitchen uh, the psychiatrist or counselor, and she's in her kitchen, and a bunch of emails come th comes through. She walks from the kitchen to her computer, and she kind of goes out of the frame for a second, and she goes back in the frame to sit down and check her emails, which are coming from uh, the different personalities, in particular Barry, uh, that's inside of James McAvoy's character. And I'm fairly certain that at 11, at 11 minutes and 35 seconds, there is a audible fart in this movie. I listen. I watch this movie with headphones, and I can't recall a fart at all. I'm, af I'm afraid I, I have to inform you. It might have been you. It might have been you. Like in every every time you you would replay it, you would just fart. I suppose because I can't recall it. I feel like I would notice that. But are you telling I me might, that might have gone deaf for a moment? You are a doctor. Are you diagnosing me? With disassociative fart disorder, where I fart and I assume it's somebody else. I, I, I hear. DFD I, is a serious condition. <laughs> I'm not a psychiatrist yeah. or psychologist. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not well versed in that. But you should consult one because this could be a serious problem. Right. That could lead to you uh, kidnapping Anya Taylor Joy, and I guess. <laughs> I guess. Sometimes farting and not being aware of it. Blaming you know, her. I'd be blaming her for the farts. I would have to kidnap her and be like, why do you keep farting? But it's really me. The farts are coming out of me. There's a shotgun underneath <laughs> all my things. Go get it. <laughs> Kill me now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jason binge movies. Jason binge movies. Oh, where am I? Where have I been? <laughs> get my shotgun. Oh, uh, this place smells. What happened? <laughs> Is the year still March 13th, 2020? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Please have mercy on me. Kill me. Oh, my God. Uh, Last thing I remembered, I was on a toilet. What happened? <laughs> Last thing I remembered, I was getting a colonoscopy at the doctor. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Okay, so this the, 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 this movie is entirely about predators and, and prey, predators and victims. You've got the deer and the hunter in the flashbacks. You have, uh, well, really, you know, the hunter is the predator, the deer is the prey. You have the uncle and the niece, which, boy, that takes... Sexual a, predator. Sexual predator, right. You have the horde, which is this conglomeration of, like, these three identities really the two, and they're taking advantage of, of the, the kid, and then the other identities, which are like the more peaceful ones, right? And they've been blocked away. Yeah. You've got Kevin's mom and Kevin, and obviously you have the Beast and the girls. And that's really it. I mean, I mean, he puts a little too fine of a point on it, but at the end it's revealed that this whole thing is happening at a, at a zoo. Just letting him live in like these like hidden like corridors of a zoo, um, and that puts like a. How little... do you rent out a zoo? 
I'm assuming he you was buy a zoo. That space. Matt Damon bought a zoo. Yeah, he did. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you rent okay, a zoo. Okay, I guess I should look into that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if anybody was he like an employee because he had like a yes. he had like a he had like a locker. I guess maybe they took over and I guess it was an abandoned section of the zoo or something. Well, I'm not sure. No, they he says what happens, right? So like they they, they kind of like it's not like beat you over the head, but if like you can piece the clues together, what happened? So uh, Kevin, the real person, presumably, got a job. He was in recovery and he got a job at the zoo. And then at some point, and this does not make any sense, and this does not fly in the post-Me Too era, but the doctor, and I don't know if she's, like, just going along with a delusion he had or if this was an event that allegedly really happened. Allegedly, Kevin was at the zoo, and two teenage girls dared each other to go up to him and grab his hand and put it on their shirt and have him cop a feel on their boobs. And then they mocked him. That's that's what she says to uh, uh, not be his flawed recollection of the yes, events. Yes, that's his flawed recollection, <laughs> and that triggered him into, uh, from what we could gather, like a disassociative state where where all these different personalities were coming out again, or they were not manageable. At some point, like the good personalities, you know the berries and whoever, you know, whoever else, Jasmine's or whatever her name was, they're kind of in control and they're helping him like maintain his job because he still works at the zoo. And he's, he has a throwaway line of like, they gave me, there's like workers quarters on the property, but I, I like to be by myself. So I asked if I could stay here and they said, yes. And they gave me all this space, which does not make sense. And then the <laughs> idea is that by him, being in this free fall state and with the, the emergence of the horde and them being around all these wild predatory animals, it formed this other personality of the beast. Uh, and that's just like random well, shit. They dropped throughout the movie. I don't know. Mentioned people early like, on <laughs> that. I think the beast has like a, the beast has like some kind of history with his father. Like, yes. Like his father left from a train station. I guess maybe he saw his father as a beast, like a a monster. So I guess that is how he is reborn as as like this fucked up idea of his father emerging from that train station later in the movie. Yes. And that's how the personality comes to be, I suppose. Yeah, I think that's the idea, right? Is the combination of whatever fan because most of the personalities are mom trauma uh yeah. they're, they're developed as coping mechanisms to keep the mom from beating him uh and per maybe even molesting him maybe there's some hints of that sure. and then there's the dad stuff right which they don't even like you said they don't really fully explore that at all but there is this one traumatic memory and that's allegedly where the beast is he's maybe his dad is bruce willis <laughs> I don't know. I haven't seen the next movie. So. Uh, no, I have, and no, that's not the case. I don't remember. Okay. If, I don't know that they really explore more about him in the next movie. I'll be honest with you; it's not that memorable. Uh, I I still need to see Glass. I think maybe I'll finally check it out. I watched Unbreakable years ago, but that was a long time ago. Had you seen Split before this episode? I had not seen Split. This was my first viewing of Split. Wow. Okay. So let's let's dive into that. So this is your first time watching it. What'd you think? 
Um, well, I honestly really enjoyed it, but it really does all come down to James McAvoy's yeah. performance. Like, but at the same time, a lot of his personality is just kind of like he's a British actor. A lot of his personality just sound like a, a guy doing a Brooklyn accent in just different ways. <laughs> yeah. Like, hey, how you doing? How's yeah. it going? I'm Dennis. Hey, like, just like, yeah. like part of me feels like it's like, OK, this is the only American accent I can do. So let's <laughs> just go with that. Um, it's me, Barry. But, but I feel like I don't know. I feel like in the final act, it just has a lot of hokey dialogue where it's just mm. it just is a little goofy to me, especially the finale where they kind of go into very overtly the unbreakable connections. And then, of course, have the Bruce Willis cameo at the very end where it's like he's Mr. Glass. Like it's like um I don't know. I just felt like it was just a little like I felt like the movie could have stood on its own and mm. just had like the connections to Unbreakable be a little more subtle and maybe just have like a post credit scene that goes into that connection a bit more. Actually, is there a post credit scene to split? I don't remember. I don't think there is. No, no. I, okay. I think it's but just yeah, I, I feel like Bruce Willis ending. Feel, yeah. I feel like they could have had it be like, OK, here's a little bit of. um Here's a little bit of like uh, Easter eggs for you that that can tip you off that this is an unbreakable sequel, and then it gets announced. Oh, Glass is coming out! Oh, look, it's got Unbreakable and and Glass and fucking fucking Splitman, LeBeast, like all together, like <laughs> yeah. and make that like more of like a, a thing for that movie. Because okay. I don't know. I, so the, the I know I do know that I do know that Unbreakable. The split character, Kevin Wendell Crumb, was supposed to be an Unbreakable, but M. Night Shyamalan was like, okay, there's too many of these characters. Yeah. I'm just going to cut them out. Okay, so obviously you're coming to this a little little later than some of us. Yeah. So you already knew going into this that this was like part two of a trilogy, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the, it's not as mind-blowing. <laughs> no, so my experience of it was the first time I saw it was in theaters, and it just looked like, I was like, eh, M. Night Shyamalan. But it looks like it may be a good movie. And James McAvoy looks like he's doing something insane in this movie. And a friend and I went to go see it. And at this point, I don't know if it leaked. It didn't leak to me. I didn't know that this was Unbreakable. And at this point, you know, this is coming out in 2016. Unbreakable's 2001, I think. So this is 15 years later, and of all the M. Night Shyamalan films, good or bad, Unbreakable really wasn't at the top of like public consciousness or anybody's mind. So when you're sitting there in the theater, and then like it, the way it plays, especially the first time you watch it, not knowing that, it doesn't really feel connected to anything. So when we get to that kind of hokey scene where it's like the news reporter on the TV in the diner who's like, these events are shockingly similar, which they're not, but shockingly similar <laughs> to the, the ravings of <laughs> a man that they called Mr. Glass or, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that was what was hokey to me. Like, that felt forced. Like, just like, to mention. Oh, yeah, when the ladies were like, oh, yeah, this is a lot like yeah. that. <laughs> What was that guy's name? Yeah. That guy who Mr. looked like Glass. Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was Mr. Glass. <laughs> like, he was happened to be right next to them. Oh, man. It was hokey the second time, third time. Every subsequent rewatch, it was hokey. The first time, 
because as the information slowly dulls, dulls out or is being doled out, your brain's like, oh, wait a minute. He's not going to. Wait a minute. He's not going to. Whoa, this isn't a. What? And then it's like a surprise sequel. And so yeah, because I do know I do know M. Night Shyamalan was like talking about making a sequel to Unbreakable for years, yes. like just like for years. And it turned out to be that this is the stealth sequel. But I felt like the finale just felt too much of like, OK, we're setting up the third movie. <laughs> and I feel like Unbreakable is a movie that. Yeah, like that. Like, I mean, it's no Stuart Little, M. Night Shyamalan's <laughs> earlier film, but it's <laughs> it's it's a movie that. Early on in his career, after Sixth Sense, that a lot of people might have skipped. Yeah. Like it, it, I saw it and I thought it was really great, but it definitely felt like it was setting up a sequel at the end of that movie too. And I, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like you know, it's I just have like these movies work on their own standalone while also leaving up the opportunity because then it ends with like James McAvoy being like, now everybody will know about us and we'll, we'll go on more twisted adventures, <laughs> Hed Hedwig, like just like talking in the mirror. And it's like, OK, uh, it's like it's a bit it was a bit like Green Goblin and Spider-Man. Yes, at that a point little bit. Where, yeah. Yeah, it's see to me, I have my memory of my original watch of it, and I thought all of that played out beautifully. And again, it's 2016, so it's a little bit before we're completely inundated by this sort of sequel baiting in the MCU, and every movie that comes out has yeah. that sequel bait. So the ending felt kind of fresh. It felt like it felt like this was gonna be a Shyamalan. It felt like the twist was. The, that he actually does kind of transform into a beast. Like, because the way the movie was marketed yeah. and the way, the way the movie plays is the doctor's like, there's certain physiological changes that can happen because of this condition, whatever, in, the, in this world. But th what you're saying is not possible. People don't do those things. It doesn't happen. So you're thinking this is, again, just like dad trauma. This is just a psychological condition like, you know, he's going to do some like gnarly shit and he does like eating people. He's going to do some gnarly shit, but it's going to be in his head. So you think, oh, no, the Shyamalan twist is he actually transforms. He actually becomes beastly and physiologically he's crawling on walls and you think that's it. You think that that is the big like shocking moment and then you go on with your life. And then so as the movie then keeps going, you're like, why does this keep going in that initial viewing? I'm like, why is this? What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And then as it keeps going, and it slowly reveals itself to be a sequel to Unbreakable. And again, this is also when Bruce Willis's stock was a lot higher than it is now. Yeah. Um, that you just. Oh, I think I think after Die Hard. Die Hard, a good day. Wait, what was the last one? A good die day hard. to die hard. No, 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 that wasn't the last one. The last one was Die Hard. It had a stupid name. I watched it recently. I'm, I'm so upset that I ended up watching it. What is the last one called? It's called. Oh wait, it was called a good. Yes. Oh, I wanted to die. Oh, it was called a good day to die. The fourth hard. one is name. Live Free or Die Hard, and the oh, fifth yeah. one is A Good Day to Die Hard. Yeah. Good day to not watch this movie every day. Yeah. <laughs> Once he made vacation. that, like, I think it's just, yeah, just over, over the top uses of that stock phrase. Like, 
it just yeah it didn't really feel like a diehard movie at all no like, it's terrible he, he's full-on a superhero at that point just invincible like him oh, and God. his son jai courtney yes it's terrible yeah um, so, I, so that's where I'm caught because I have my most recent viewing of it where some of that stuff did stand out more. And I have my first viewing of it where it completely worked and didn't feel hokey at all. And actually kind of blew my mind to the point that I would say so far, it's like the best backdoor twist of my lifetime. It was a twist. I didn't see coming. Uh, I got to six cents too late, all these other things. So it was, it was successful to me the first time. And it re it re it stirs that up in me again, where I have that like nostalgia of like I remember being surprised by a movie. I remember when a movie was set up for a sequel, but I didn't know that it was. And then when it happened, I was excited for it. So, and that hasn't happened in a long time. So I have that kind of baked into this. So that affects my score a little bit. So yeah, the unfortunate thing with M Night Shyamalan movies is that they virtually always ha have a twist yeah. i guess i guess sometimes the twist will be obvious where it's like last airbender where the asian characters are white like that's a that's a dark twist i suppose <laughs> but um but usually the twists are at the end and it's like a surprise but the problem is that there's you kind of see a twist coming right away but also there's like a race against time to see the movie before it gets yeah, like ruined for you, spoiled for you, because, yeah, I knew Split's twist. I hadn't seen it for years. And they, it sort of removes your enthusiasm to see the movie, too, when it is spoiled for you. Like there's lots of classic movies that I didn't get around to watching until much later, just because pop culture and just people in general would just like spoil them to the point where you're like, well, I guess I know everything that happens in this movie yeah. pretty much. Like I didn't see Godfather for instance, super late in my infinite lifespan, just because you, you know, every plot point, it's not the same as watching the movie, of course, but like, there's just like, yeah. you just know everything that's going to happen ahead of time. Unfortunately, that always sucks. Well, you don't get to live <laughs> in the moment of the movie and have like the full experience of the film because yeah like if you have even if you have like a, a template in your head of what's going to happen then you can if you've seen movies before you can go like wow that that scene probably goes here or that's probably what happens next if it's not that then it's probably this thing that i know right so exactly you're 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 like, end up being like two or three steps ahead of the movie and that that just takes your enjoyment out of it so uh yeah for me i remember not being two or three steps ahead of this movie which is why Hold your horses, Doc. This is my number one for the week. I'm adding it to the shortlist. It's going to go on and compete at the end of the season and last movie standing. And I give this son of a bitch an 8.9 out of 10. I personally give Split an 8 out of 10. And I rank it number two out of the five movies presented in this podcast. Um, I definitely really enjoyed it. It's a, it's a great movie. I just felt like... I don't know. I was just let down by the final act and also just knowing where it was going to yeah. go in the end. And it just also felt very anticlimactic for the sake of setting up a further film. So there isn't a sense of this is a standalone movie, but now it's actually the middle of a trilogy, which is kind of weird because it does have a premise that totally works yes. on its own. <laughs> so it's it's a little weird when it kind of, I guess it w it might be a little jarring for a lot of folks who have not seen Unbreakable, but that's a great movie. Uh, 
I think maybe this might be better than Unbreakable, but I haven't seen Unbreakable in a long time, so I might need to revisit that and eventually see Glass. At... I, I wouldn't be in a rush for that one. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll just get it over with already. <laughs> the twist The twist is that it's not as good as the first two movies. <laughs> kind of, yeah. What a twist. <laughs> All right, moving along to 2017's Happy Death Day, which currently has a 71% on Rotten Tomatoes. I have already lived through this day. You have unlimited amount of lives, unlimited opportunities to solve your own murder. So I keep dying until I figure out who my killer is? It was directed by Christopher Landon. It was written by Scott Lobdell. It was released October 13th, 2017. On a budget of $4.8 million, it made $125.5 million. A sorority mean girl relives her slasher movie demise over and over and over and over again. The good thing about this is you can't spoil a movie that is ostensibly a ripoff of another movie to the point that the yeah. movie itself is like, this is basically that other movie. Huh? I've never seen it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Let me ask, uh, let me ask you this. Okay. How lucky for the killer at the college mascot is a terrifying Cupid doll baby face. That definitely felt really tacked on, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I mean, I guess, I don't know. What's the significance? Like, does it have any, like, significance that it is a baby? Or is it just like, this is a creepy thing that hasn't been taken, to my knowledge. Just like, I guess it's better than seeing, like, a fursuit, like, mascot going after over and over again. I, I guess it would be scarier, though. I guess it would be scarier. Um, yeah. I, I there's, there's never been a, a furry-based slasher, has there? Um... I mean, I hope not. I really hope not. Are you a creative genius, Doc? Because in every one of these reviews, you've pitched a movie that I could see somebody making. And at the oh, very man. least, it'd be available for rental on Amazon Oh, Video. man, the furry convention slasher movie. That'd be pretty scary. <laughs> Think about it, right? A psychopath who dresses up as a furry because everybody's real identities are hidden. And you don't know who's who. The killer could switch costumes at different times. And people start coming up dead. Oh, yeah. I mean, we'd be kind of rooting for the killer, though. So <laughs> if there's anything that's relatable, it's uh, being a furry. I am I wrong? <laughs> um, yeah, you'd be pretty far from wrong. But I, <laughs> I appreciate your. <laughs> I appreciate your forwardness. <laughs> Actually, let me see. I think this might be the most expensive movie. Oh, no, Split. Split is more expensive than yeah. this movie. I was like, really? This is the most? <laughs> no, no, Split. Uh, I'm surprised that it's more expensive than some of these other movies. Uh. Your taste is varied. And sometimes when I think you're going to zig, you zag. And sometimes when I think, well, ah, he's probably going to hate this, he, you end up being like, ah, it's not that bad. Check it out. Um, I, where do you land on this? Um, well, the problem with it for me is that it is just one of those fucking mishmash movies, those like mashups where it's like, here's this 
premise applied to this genre. Like they did that again with like the Freaky Friday fucking horror movie. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, but it's like it kind of wears off. Like it's like a good premise for like something short form, but it just Mm. wears thin just seeing the same material Groundhog Day explored, but in a college setting and with murders at the end where Bill Murray's not getting fucking killed at the end of every loop, but essentially he does like, I guess that's, that's the thing is I guess, I guess in this version though, like she inevitably gets killed. Yes. Like in every loop, whereas Bill Murray, sometimes he'll get killed on purpose or commit suicide, but he does have a suicide loop. He does go on several iterations of suicide in the middle of that movie. People tend to forget that. Yeah, and he always like goes to sleep too. Like, just stay up. Don't go back to bed, Bill. Like, <laughs> then you'll you'll break the loop. I think that's why he. I think that's why. Uh, I think that's why Bill Murray was able to break the loop in Groundhog Day because by the end of it, he finally gets laid and he's up all night. Like, <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, are you are you a slasher movie guy? It's. It's a go-to subgenre for me with horror, for sure. I always like a good slasher movie because it's pretty much like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. But, like, characters get killed most of the time. And I always like that. I don't know. There's something fun about that. And it's very relatable because, you know. Is this not a Scooby-Doo episode, though? Because it has the red herring. And then it has the reveal. And the reveal is like, old man roommate. Right? Like, or yeah. whatever. Random <laughs> ass roommate. There's like two twists about who the killer is yes. in this movie. Like, there's two killers, it's revealed. Yeah, it's a bit like Scooby Doo, but like on a time loop, I suppose. I guess, you know, like Groundhog Day, the tree character played by, um, what's her name? Played Jesse- by Jessica, Jessica Roth. Roth. Yeah. Yeah, Jessica Roth's tree. She's. She's like, I guess, like, I guess the teenage girl version of Bill Murray's character, just like, just like, just fucking every dude, like, just, just like, just literally fucking every dude she she can and just being like really shitty to her friends and just being like all these other shitty girls in her, uh, in her sorority, like, and eventually over the course of the film, all over all these time loops, she starts to become better she learns to she learns to love her fellow man especially her her man carter yeah who she always wakes up in the dorm room of with that annoying ringtone oh man <laughs> i guess like it's like but like you know groundhog day always starts with a beatles song that's like yep. nice but this movie starts with a ringtone that's like it's your birthday like i don't want to hear that over and over again like at least (laughs) like i guess it's supposed to be like oh yeah we really want this fucking loop to end so we won't have to fucking hear that song again that ringtone from our dad like i uh. think that's the gag right but also the thing that always threw me off about this movie is in 2017 we weren't using ringtones like that anymore all of us had our phones on silent and, or on vibrate like that's like a 20 like it's like a 2005 maybe 2004 kind of a thing where you had like i mean my ringtone is the is the halloween three theme so i mean i got a ringtone but <laughs> i always play it 
Well, that, that makes you the exception and not the rule. And you're also very, very ancient. So I think you might be a little bit out of touch with the kids there, Doc. But here, Maybe. here's the here's the thing. I there is so much for me to like about this movie. There is so much that I think like almost works. And when I when I watched it in 2017 in a vacuum, just by itself, not for the purpose of reviewing it, not comparing it to five other films or four other films and and the oeuvre of the Blumhouse distribution and production company. It was a completely fine rental. I liked it. I thought it was charming. If anything, I thought like parts of the sequel were like a little better, which is really odd for me to say because I wouldn't have said that after seeing the sequel. But I kept waiting for this particular energy to hit the film. And I was like, it didn't really happen. And I was like, but I remember this movie. <laughs> and I remember there being like a little bit more like pep to it, a little bit more pizzazz to it. And it's because it's, there's the sequel, obviously. Uh, happy death day to you and that one uh, uh, goes way off the rails that one goes way more goofy way more comedy and it's actually like another genre flip it's not just a, a loop movie but there's another genre flip to it and and I remember like the basically in my mind I had the best elements of the sequel and the best elements of the original in one really good movie and instead there's just this movie that has some stuff that I think is is okay to good. I think the, the best part of the movie is the star. It's Jessica Roth. She's the best part of it. She's the one that holds the whole thing together, basically. Um, and then there's just, like, a lot of other stuff that it should be scarier than it is. Like, what does it want to be? Like, is, is this a good slasher movie or murder mystery thriller? Uh, not really. Is it a good comedy? Uh, the the sequel is like <laughs> more overtly funny, so I don't know I don't know what to make of it. I, it was this was the one that I thought was going to be kind of higher that I was going to like more because I remember liking it at the time. But now on a revisit, I'm like, I'm not I'm not so sure. Is this how many times have you seen this? Is this a, a fresh one for you? Uh, where do you stand with it? I saw it a few years ago, and <clears throat> I was just not really into it the first time either. My problems with it is that, you know, it is a PG-13 horror movie, and it doesn't go very hard or intense with the horror sections. So right. it's if you watch a lot of horror movies, then a lot of these the sections at the end of each loop aren't really going to do much for you. They're very... They're very simple, like, and bloodless. Like, it, it always just feels way too safe, and it just ends up feeling like you... They don't even register, so it ends up just feeling like it is just Groundhog Day. Like, I wish it was darker and more violent, like, just to mm. remind you that this is not... It, like, it has, like, a, a silly montage of the killings, and it just ends up, like, taking away the edge of just... You live in a literal, like, loop where you you perpetually are killed. Like, it ends up just making it feel a little too fun and, like, mm. carefree, like... like it isn't until like later in the movie where it's like each loop I get more tired and stuff, but it's just like, I don't know. It, I, it just, it just, so did you want the movie just lacks intensity? Well, that's what, I guess that's my question. Do you want this? When you watch the movie, are you wanting it to be more in, intense, more serious? Or do you think that, would you prefer it if it was more goofy? 
more serious? Do you think the problem is that it's trying to be kind of somewhere in the middle? To me, it it really should be dark and serious because mm. you can't really outdo all the gags in in Groundhog Day at all. Like Harold mm. Ramis pretty much figured it all out. Like he completely mastered this concept the first time. So if you're going to do it, you might as well lean as far into the horror and darkness as possible because I guess it is going to appeal to like I suppose Gen Zers and younger millennials who have not seen Groundhog Day and will come into it like thinking this is a totally fresh concept it's a <laughs> like it's 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 a it's a loop movie I've never seen that before I never saw it. and then at the end like they they have like a little bit of a Oh, guess what? We we just took this premise from Groundhog Day. Like, <laughs> like to me, like no, yeah. no, no. Just just lean as far towards darkness as you can because, like, you can't really outdo the the jokes from Groundhog Day. Like, would it be better? Okay, if we kept the comedy element, but if we also increase the darkness, so it's more of a dark comedy. So that it's it's the deaths are happening. And they're more bloody. I think. Let's put. I let's make it a rated R comedy that that uh, that is goofy, but at the same time, the the kills, her kills, or the kills of the killer are more creative, more blood, like impactful, more intense. Does that work better for you, uh, or is it just? There's no redeeming this one in your mind. It it felt way too much like they were copy and pasting like the plot structure of Groundhog Day too, mm. where it's like that, like her walk from the dormitory is so similar to Bill Murray encountering Ned Ryerson, like, like on his way to the park, like she's encountering all these annoying people and stuff. And eventually she's like nice to them. And it's the same, like, like character arc. Exactly. And it's just, if you've seen Groundhog Day, it's just like, okay, like, I get it. I've seen this, like, at least reinvented. I feel like if they went darker, they could at least make this day, like, just a really unpleasant day you would not want to have to repeat. And I guess maybe have it so she can fix it in some way. Mm. Like, did, does she actually go to her dad's? like restaurant date by the end of the movie. I can't even remember like so much stuff I, I, blends for me again. I have the sequel of which the dad is more of a player. And then I have this movie in my head and they've just been mashed together. And I just watched this one <laughs> because my mind is taking like the bits that kind of worked in this one and the bits that worked in the other one and just made this superior film in my head. I think she talks to her dad on the phone, but I don't feel like we see him, but I could be wrong. I know we see him in the sequel. I know he's much more of a reoccurring character. Uh, and he's, you know, part of the loop again. And the sequel is all back to the future two spin basically. And, um, it's more of a time travel movie. Uh, with, huh. and it's got a different kind of horror element to it. Honestly, a lot less horror to it. And I feel like it, it, there's a there's a really weird thing where it 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 feels yes it's Groundhog's Groundhog Day but it also feels kind of like an 80s movie where it's the hot girl who's mean who something magical happens right like she finds out she's a witch or the nerd finds out she's a witch and she becomes the hot girl and she becomes a bad person so then she's got to become a good person again or her stepmom's an alien or like it's like this weird kind of high concept college hijinks movie 
that ultimately then the hot chick ends up with the nerd character because she develops like a soul and in human consciousness. I'm betting, honestly, I'm <clears throat> betting that like Carter is a total self insert for Scott Lobdell. Like, cause like <laughs> he's got like his, you see his dormitory yes. and he's got all these like movie nerd posters up like <laughs> yes. repo man. And I think the thing is up there. Like, yeah, definitely, they live, like, they probably live. like, yeah, I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to hook up with this hot blonde chick, at least in my screenplay. Yeah, there we go. Let me actually, I, I want to see if like Scott Lobdell resembles like <laughs> the actor they got for Carter. Oh, I can't. OK, I can't find a picture on IMDb. Uh, whatever. I'm I'm assuming if there's no picture on IMDb, he probably looks worse than Carter. Oh, God. OK, now I need to know what he looks like. Let me see. Because I know what Carter looks like. I think like. Carter Let's may see. be a fantasy version of him as well. Actually, yeah. Yeah, he looks like fucking Carter. Like, he looks like a middle-aged version of Carter. Like, OK. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, he kind of does, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, well, he 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 hooked up with Tree, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Tree is such a stupid name. Uh, yeah, that that's not a great name. Yeah, he does kind of look like uh, a middle-aged version of Carter, doesn't he? Yeah. He just blew my Actually, Carter looks like Carter looks like a teenage version of Jason Blum. It's a uh, bit weird. Uh, <laughs> Maybe yeah, that's weird. This is very weird, yeah. So this movie doesn't work for you. It didn't work for you back when you saw it. It doesn't work for you now, huh? Now it just I just feel like it's just going through the motions. I don't know. I I just kept just tuning out watching this movie. And it was the only movie where I was really tuning out out of all of these movies. Uh even The Purge, I was still like totally at, at least engaged on some level, but at the same time I admit Happy Death Day is better than The Purge, which will be reflected in my ratings and rankings, but I just yeah, I don't know. It just feels like it, this is a movie that's sleepwalking, like that's just like going through the motions, looking at like a, a very successful script that every screenwriter is told to copy, where it's like, can you like every screenwriter is told pretty much like by every executive, can you do it more like Groundhog Day, where it's like you can you can summarize the plot in just one sentence where it has this just really catchy premise and it's like okay this clearly scott lobdell got tired of it so he's just like it's groundhog day but it's a horror movie okay there you go <laughs> answer me this does the sl the slasher horror movie elements of it uh not so much the over-the-top kills and the more groundhog day piece of it but the more slasher horror element of it does that does any of that make sense to you does any of it because to me, the yeah. one the one thing about this movie is it almost like yeah, that's the concept. It's uh, what if you're in a slasher movie, but you're also in Groundhog Day. So the day you die, you're 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 you get killed early in a uh, horror movie, and you just keep reliving your death over and over again. Okay, got it. But then it almost the movie kind of seems to lose focus and interest on the slasher part of it. And then when it comes back around, it's like, oh, yeah, that was the idea. And then it just, like, wraps it up in one quick scene, and she just gets kicked out the fucking window, and it's like, well, that's, that's the end of that. I, I still don't really understand the the villain, the, the no. baby face mask guy, because he seems to – why does he end up targeting Tree? Like, he's released by the Tree's nemesis, the chick that – tries to kill her with a cupcake. But yeah, her real her roommate. Yeah. In most in most timelines fails. Like why does he end up 
relentlessly pursuing Tree across every timeline unless he is <laughs> all, all, also aware that he is like looping somehow. And he's like, I guess that would be interesting if the killer knew that they were looping in the same way that the victim knew that she was looping. You but just I'm not did sure it they... again, goddammit. You just did it again. You just made another movie where it's a loop yeah. movie, but the there's a the 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 uh, I mean that Jason... is the premise of a that is the premise of a video game that came out recently, Deathloop. Where oh, you is play it really? as where you it was a good game too. I played it on my PS5, where you play as like an assassin who's trapped in a time loop. You have to figure out how to kill all these targets within that day. So you have to keep repeating to figure out their schedules and everything. But simultaneously, there's another assassin that's aware of the loop wow. that's coming after you. That's a cool game. But yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, I guess happy, if Happy Death Day came upon that concept earlier, it would be a little bit more interesting. Right. I'm not even sure if they imply that the killer is aware of a loop at all. I don't think so at all. And when they do the montage where she's like, it's been you... Every single time. It's not the killer. It's the roommate. Like, when they flash back to, like, the car crash when she, like, killed the sheriff or whatever and ran the car and ran her over and all the different stuff. Every time the mask lifts up, just about every time, it's actually the roommate who fails to kill her with the cupcake. So the thing that doesn't make sense is at what point in the there's a prime timeline that's repeating and that prime timeline she fucks up with the cupcake and instead decides to release this killer in the hospital and the killer in the hospital just so happens or she tells the killer to target like why wouldn't he just immediately kill the roommate why would he target tree like you said and then but then every time it flashes back to what we think is the actual serial killer it shows that it was her all along. So is he only released in certain timelines? Is there two of them with the mask? Like, what the fuck? I, that's the part where it always loses me. And then my brain goes, it doesn't really matter. Because the whole movie feels like that part of the plot doesn't really matter. It's just Groundhog Day. You know, it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's whatever. All right, if you <laughs> That'd be, actually be a great twist if it turned out that the killer at the end was Bill Murray. That would be fun. Like, <laughs> or Ned. Oh. Nito knows Ned. Yeah. Oh, Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson. Uh, if only. <laughs> yeah, that would really appeal to the Gen Zers. Stephen Tobolowski's <laughs> big with the with the Zoomers. Yeah, Steve, seeing Stephen Tobolowski and you're you're at like a a middle school sleepover slumber party. You see that guy? You're like, oh whoa, <laughs> the guy from Groundhog Day. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> The guy from the Tobolowski files. I know that face. <laughs> uh, if you had to give this movie a score out of 10, what would you give it and where do you rank it? I would give Happy Death Day a 6 out of 10 and I would rank it number 4 out of the 5 movies ranked. Interesting. Okay. This is going to come a little bit higher Which for me. It's middling. It's middle of the pack. I'm going to give it an eight because for some reason it, it engenders to me some kind of goodwill. I think it's only because there's the charisma of the lead actress. Yeah, that's a running theme with these Blumhouse movies. It's like, okay, well, there's some weaknesses in the screenplay. Luckily, we've got some good, some good actors to kind of do a lot of the heavy lifting for us here. Oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> well, moving on. Uh, by process of elimination, 
We're moving on to 2018's Upgrade, which currently has an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. Four guys murdered my wife. What if I could enable you to walk again? It's a new, better brain. I am STEM, the system operating your body for you. Can anybody else hear you? Only you. You didn't know that I'm a ninja. While I am state-of-the-art, I am not a ninja. Rated R starts June 1st. Upgrade was directed by Lee Wannell. It was written by Lee Wannell. It is the triumphant return of Logan Marshall Green, last seen in The Invitation. It was released March 10th, 2018 at South by Southwest, June 1st, 2018 in the United States, and June 14th, 2018 in Australia. On a budget of $3 million, it made $17 million at the box office. An independent man becomes the embodiment of what he rightly fears. I saw this movie in theaters. I was in a fucking ghost town of a theater. There was nobody there. You can kind of tell that by the box office of $17 million. Uh, Pretty damn good, regardless. <laughs> I mean, it made its money back. Well, it made its money back, but it, it, I mean, some of these movies, like $3 million and one makes like $150, 3000000 million, one makes 257 uh, sinister eh. three sinister was three million and made eighty seven. Of all the movies we talked about, this is the least financially viable. Um, it's getting a TV show, I hear. So it's got that going for <sighs> well, it. Everything's getting a TV show now. You're getting a podcast. Yeah, this is getting a TV show. Uh, everybody's getting everything. It's all about vertical integration and content creation, Doc. Uh, ain't that the truth? It's all about metaverse now. I I just want to be a part of the Dr. Wolfila metaverse. Oh yes, that's gonna be fun. <laughs> gonna be jacking in <laughs> and jacking off. Oh yeah. Um, I, I there's a spoiler warning at the top of every one of our episodes, but since you probably skipped that and just got to the Dr. Wolfila part of all the movies we're talking about here today, this is the one that I think the least amount of people have probably seen. And yeah. I would say, don't fucking listen to this review. Uh, just watch the movie uh, and then come back and listen to the review because if we're going to spoil the shit out of it, probably. So please come back. <laughs> please, please come back. This is obviously your pick of the week, right? This is your number one. Yes. And I didn't really see this movie until like, I think yesterday, actually. Wow. Yeah, I, this was. A, Last movie out of these five I watched, and it was uh, definitely a, a pleasant surprise. Directed by Lee Winnell, as you uh, mentioned earlier. Creator of the Saw franchise, well, co-creator yeah. with James Wan. Like, I, I, was, I wasn't expecting to enjoy this movie so much, because it's the most different out of all these movies. It's, it, it's actually just an action movie. It's a cyberpunk action film. As Wikipedia points out, and I always <laughs> like a good cyberpunk movie, and this movie is, like, really, really efficient with its budget, because yes. there's a lot of there's a lot of hokey effects in the movie, but it ultimately works like like they just like just the basic use of 
these establishing shots of a future city that's enough because then once you're on the ground it looks just like regular detroit or whatever it looks like a normal a normal cityscape but just having these kind of nice looking establishing shots kind of works and even though most of the cars just look like regular shitty cars we have today like just seeing one like super futuristic car that can drive itself i guess it's like a disparity between people yeah. some people have yep. the cool cars that drive themselves and the other people like they they drive like nissan stanzas they don't drive great cars they're stuck with you know just these legacy cars i suppose rattle traps yeah. some some people are out there driving around in smart cars look at us rattle traps yeah so i also appreciate i guess that's part of the main character's thing is that he is a guy who i suppose repairs and restores classic cars i suppose he's a bit like hollis mason and watchmen where yeah. dr manhattan has put all these old clunkers out of commission because he came up with a way to have efficient electric cars so hollis mason is just like stuck with okay i got it just work with what i got these classic cars yeah i i, I do I, I appreciated that uh, way to ground his character as like a technophobe who doesn't have really any interest in modern technology. I'm not sure how far in the future this, I guess that's a nice thing about this movie is that it's ambiguous about yeah. where it takes place on our timeline. That's always better than just, Oh, this takes place in like 2030 and you're like, okay, well clock's ticking. <laughs> clock's clock's ticking. Purge. Motherfucker. I don't know why. I don't know why they always like, why always all the, all these sci-fi movies always go with like, cause like, this year is supposed to be soil and grain. Guess yes. what? I don't I can't I can't go to the store and buy soil and grain to my knowledge. I mean, maybe I have been. Um, who knows? But I as far as I know, I'm not eating people. I hope I am, but as far as I know, I'm not. Um, have you been to Burger King lately? Oh yeah. Yeah. I guess I have been eating people. That's we people. all know the beyond the beyond whoppers. They're yeah. definitely people. Yeah, the impossible whoppers. <laughs> beyond whoppers are people. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. What makes them impossible is you think it's impossible to get so many fat fat fucks into a meat grinder, but you can do it if you push. I have a tie-in, a product tie-in with Burger King, and I don't know that they're that their whoppers are not beyond their impossible. Damn it. Well, okay, the impossible whoppers are the ones that contain human meat. So definitely go to your local Burger King. I'm sure it's like in the most rundown part of your town. <laughs> just just the shittier the shittier your town starts to look, the more likely there will be a Burger King and go there. It'll probably be in front of a pay less shoes, I'm assuming. Go there. Or a payday get, loan place. Yeah, 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 or or just the pawn shop. Just yeah. like <laughs> yeah. you could probably get a lot of, lot of stuff done in that one um, strip mall area. Yeah. Just go there and get your impossible whopper and get your human flesh. Yeah, you know it's it's ethical if you think about don't, it. Don't like, don't confuse it with checkers or rallies, depending on what part of the country you're in. That's not right. That's the real, real shitty part of town. You want to go oh, about yeah. four blocks up. The part that used to be the nice part of town and then got shitty. Where there, you know, somewhere where there used to be a blockbuster about 25 years ago, that's where you want to go. There's going to be a KFC, a Payless, a pawn shop, a payday loan place, and a Burger King. That's exactly where you're at. And then make sure you ask for the Dr. Wolfie Latayan product, the toy. Yes, the it, toy. Yeah. Yes. It does ooze black goo from the mouth, and they're kind of pissed off about it. But that's a feature. That's not a bug. It's it's something I've 
still talking to with lawyers, but um, definitely in the meantime, I want to get that paycheck so at least I can pay those lawyers. I don't know why they left the legal responsibility to me. I guess I guess I did kind of sign that contract though, so I can't really complain. Oh well. The goo is edible <sighs> though. The goo from their mouth is edible though, Doc. Okay, don't don't put me even further down the hole right now. Let's just get back to upgrade. <laughs> okay. All I want to say is if you're out there, folks, and you're at a Burger King, eat Doc's goo. That's all I want to say. Uh, I mean, even if you're not at a Burger King and, and you encounter me, eat my goo. It's delicious. And nutritious. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, uh, this is your first time watching it? Just hit me with what you got, man. What would you think about it? Yeah, I thought it was a really cool dark neo-noir type of thriller where essentially the main character named gray played by logan marshall green who would go on to have a bit role in, <laughs> oh actually no before this movie he had a bit role in the spider-man movie where he played the white shocker who gets who gets like disintegrated yes. by michael keaton which yeah. is so like this is a definitely an upgrade over that <laughs> just like oh yeah you were you were white shocker he was also in prometheus <laughs> he's shaw's boyfriend who uh david puts the thing in his glass and he impregnates uh, her with the uh, protomorph but yes essentially the main character gray he gets seemingly mugged by the, the this group of of like cybernetic hooligans who kill his wife and they paralyze him seemingly deliberately. But luckily he's got an ace in the hole after going through tons of trauma, trauma and attempted suicides. Of course, he's yes. got an ace in the hole in the form of his little friend, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. I think it was Aaron. Aaron. Right? Yep. Aaron Keen, who essentially implants him with this, little tiny microchip thing called stem yeah. that goes into his brain stem, I think, or just his spine. And it allows the paralyzed gray to communicate with his body by proxy. I essentially, I believe he tells stem what to do yeah. and stem performs those tasks. And supposedly though, he still has full control over his body and his actions and his thoughts seemingly. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that maybe that might not be the case. You don't really know what you're getting into with this movie. I mean, you have an idea, right? You know this guy gets some kind of an implant, and a paralyzed guy gets an implant, and is you the, is the implant it stem is helping him track down the guy, the group of guys who mysterious thugs who killed his wife and paralyzed him. And as the movie unfurls. Uh, there's humor in it. I mean, first of all, it's really fucking depressing because you do, before we get to any of that yeah. cool action shit, you got to watch this guy get crippled and lose his wife and uh, lose all hope. And oh, that stuff was fun. I don't know about <laughs> you. I was like, oh, this is, this is starting, to, starting to become my kind of thing. Hell yeah. And then it gets kind of like there's some humor, like buddy cop stuff between Stem and him. It's almost like, a, because this is like alternative universe Tom Hardy, this movie is almost like alternative universe rated R Venom in a way, <laughs> where it's like him having a conversation with this thing that basically makes him a superhero or a vigilante of some kind. And you don't really know where it's going to go. And I, it goes to gore. There are several, you know, yeah. there's just fucking gore in this movie. And... 
you know, I remember seeing in the theater and seeing that the first time he kills the guy and he takes the knife and just basically like semi decapitates the guy through the mouth. Like, holy shit. I think shit. I saw Jason Voorhees do that once. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> just fucking annihilating people. Yeah. I was it, like, if this is the first kill, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of wondering what the fuck he's going to do next. Like, and he does like, he, he like, once he's like, let's, once he lets STEM take control, because STEM is like a ninja, as he describes, STEM is just like over the top, like, just able to anticipate any movements like right. he's like spider-man in the slow motion scene yep. with with joe manganello in your first movie like just like he could see every punch coming like it's pretty much just there's there's no challenge for him throughout the movie <laughs> well see that's the thing right is i think that logan marshall green's performance of some of the emotional stuff it's like hit or miss for me uh he's not the world's best yeah. actor but his performance of the physical stuff, I think, is phenomenal. I th I think the because after he can move again with STEM, he's not completely moving in a fluid way, and but he's also not moving robotically either. He's not moving like RoboCop or something. He's doing this very kind of unique physical performance, which is adds to the credibility of this movie because, like you said, it's got a pretty small budget. And so they, all the money is on the screen too. All the money is. Oh in, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I in one in one sh in one shot it really struck me where, um, where Gray has to sign a contract that Aaron gives him. Yes. He's like using a last gen iPad Pro and an Apple pencil, <laughs> and they just cover the logo, the Apple logo. But it's like, yeah, yeah, it's just like technology we have. Like it's just, oh my god. But oh, in, in, in yeah. that in that way, it's almost like a throwback movie, though. It reminds me of something kind of kind of like that we would have seen in the 80s. Uh, and I mean in a good way. I mean, I mean like this is kind of, it's kind of an old school sensibility because it's a hard R movie. Uh, yeah. And it ends on a fucking pretty dour note. <laughs> and yeah. the twist of the film is that this voice, which I'd be remiss to say that I think it's also helpful that the voice actor who's STEM is not a voice we're familiar with. And yeah. the sound design of Stem's voice, um, because it's he's hearing it in his head, the sound design, especially if you're hearing on a really good speaker system or surround sound, Stem is way more forward to the track, and there's a lot of body to his voice. And it, it just sounds separated from the rest of the sound. So you, you're almost hearing it, hearing the voice of Stem in the same way that the character is hearing him. And we think, or the movie wants us to think that, there's basically two antagonists to the film, one being not Dane DeHaan, uh, being this Harrison Gilbertson who plays Aaron, who yeah. I swear to God is Dane DeHaan, but is not. And yeah, he's like Dane DeHaan if he was crossbred with uh, with Michael Pitt. Yes, it's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> that's wow. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you got not Tom Hardy and not Dane DeHaan and not Michael Pitt and. Then you've got this other villainous character who sneezes nanobots and it gets kind of hokey in some spots, but also it's kind of cool. And, you know, you, you think that these are the these are the principal players, but really the entire time, this entire thing has been orchestrated. And Aaron himself, this billionaire, Elon Musk type, Tony Stark level genius, young, weird, spectrumy guy who's like controls the world <laughs> is actually in control of nothing. From the point that STEM became sentient, he's been doing everything in this company. And 
the whole the the the, the Twilight Zone like twist is Gray's absolute fucking purity. His his uh his freedom from and his fear, his tech phobia, as you called it, his freedom of of integration with biomechanical technology is the thing that makes him the and his psychological profile makes him the perfect candidate to be the host of this super AI who wants a human body. And the entire revenge movie we thought we were watching is actually just the killer covering his tracks. And I think that's yeah, the, I honestly that's the thought... cleverness of the movie is that the, 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 the guy getting revenge and the killer are in the same body. Yeah, I honestly thought like before the twist was revealed that the the villain was such a like, well, the seeming villain, Aaron, was such a egomaniac that he just he just did all this stuff to Gray and his his wife just because Gray, Gray was just a little snarky when he looked yes. at STEM and he was like, guess what, motherfucker? You're going to end up being the host of STEM and I'm going to kill your wife, too. <laughs> like, just, like to the point where, yeah, it. I kind of just thought it was that, and I didn't even suspect that Stem was going no. to be the villain, even though he's like a totally homicidal <laughs> um, well, AI. Yeah, but the way it's played is the, it's it's played as if he's he is the 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 voice acting is Stem is played as being literal, not necessarily yeah. homicidal. So when when Gray's like uh, I'm a ninja, and and, and there's it's a semi comical line where Stem is like. I'm advanced artificial intelligence. I am not a ninja. You know, it's yeah. almost like data from Star Trek. He just takes everything literally. So if you're like, you know, finish this guy, Stem. He's not thinking about knocking the guy out. I'm just thinking about cutting the guy's head off or doing whatever he has to do to finish the guy. So that's the rope-a-dope the movie gives you is you feel like this is, he's only homicidal in retrospect. You think it's just a, it's just like a computer. It's just very literal. You don't realize he's even infinitely more advanced than that. And he's 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 a super advanced AI who's playing dumb, and you don't realize that into the twist. And then by the time the twist is revealed, there's another twist, which is there's this cop who's uh, from let uh, uh, um, oh my gosh uh, Jordan uh, Jordan Peele get out. She's the no 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 no. She's the Betty uh, Gabriel. Yeah, she's the maid uh, in that movie. Um, oh yeah yeah she plays the cop and she's like kind of figuring out but he doesn't fit the profile because gray's in a wheelchair and she's blah 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 blah. and she has this confrontation it turns into a fucking bloodbath and he's not in control of his own body and then we see him regain control and he's going to shoot himself in the head and that's going to be the movie and as soon as he wakes up and he's not dead you realize oh fuck this is this is a dream or hallucination then we cut back to the real world and stem has completely broken his mind is in complete control of his his body kills the cop licks his blood walks off that's the end of the fucking movie the the evil computer won yeah it feels like it has the right ending for a cyberpunk movie like yeah. cuz i know you know blade runner ended up getting meddled with by executives to have like a happier ending when really, I mean, this movie has a darker ending than Blade Runner, but <laughs> it seems like, you know, it's always a, it's always, it always feels like, you know, a lot of these 
a lot of these kind of movies just aren't willing to go for the realistic bad ending just because they're they got executives who meddle with them. And I also have to go through, you know, uh, test screenings yeah. and everything. And it's like always just some fucking dumb hick in Kansas who's like, can I have a happy ending? I didn't like the fact that the the bad the bad guy lost. Can you make it so the bad guy loses and it's a happy ending? I'd appreciate it. You know, it's always cooler when it's like, you know, the most realistic ending. Like, it felt like once Gray goes on this path for revenge, yeah. he, he's he's pretty much, you know, shown that he's he can't be like saved in the end. Like all he wants is just ultimately all he wants is his wife back. And in the end, he gets it. And it's he's he's selfish. Like he just he's just like like stem like I guess maybe stem might have had like an influence on Gray's vengeful choices, but maybe not. Maybe stem was just like stem was just like, yeah, guess what? You I'll, I'll help you, you know, but it's up to you. Ultimately, <laughs> maybe there was always an illusion of choice or. Maybe maybe it just took him to just having like his whole just having his 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 like his will just like shattered by the end of the movie for Stem to finally take over. In some ways, I think this is the better movie than Split, which is, I don't know, maybe semi controversial to say. And I definitely enjoy it. But there is a little bit of hokiness and there is a little bit of. um there is a there's a, there's weaker performances in the movie. That's really what it comes down to. So for me, I like this movie better than I like Split in a lot of ways. This is kind of more in my wheelhouse. So, but the performances aren't just they're not quite there. So this is only going to come in as my number two, obviously by process of elimination. And I'm going to have it an eight point seven five. But I I it was honestly right before we started this conversation, I had both spots empty, and I just made the decision right right there at the very end uh, because it could have gone either way for me. I, I think this is a really great underseen film. I, I think it's very hard in our day and age, Doc, to have cult movies because there's so many people like me uh, and you making content about movies that, like, yeah. what's underseen anymore? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I feel like this is underseen. I feel like this is a movie that kind of came out it didn't make a bunch of money. It's not talked about. It's not. It's probably held in high regard in some circles, probably the circles that you and I occupy. Uh, but it's not. It's not mainstream at all. And uh, yeah. I think it deserves to be. I mean, it's, it's a hard R. It's a hard R film. Would you go so far so far as to say that it has horror elements in it because of the gruesomeness, or do you you th- and because of the ending and because of what's really going on the whole time, or does this not tip over into horror for you? Well, like I said at the start of this podcast, if you really think about it, every movie is a horror movie. Yeah. So you know, it's scary the idea you have this robotic voice guy in your head. Just, you know, just just talking to you. That's scary. And also he's when when you're just trying to simply defend yourself, he's brutally murdering people. That's pretty scary. And but I wouldn't say it's 
totally scary. I think it is just just a cyberpunk premise where you we're being taken over by machines. That's really the root fear of cyberpunk is yeah. like what happens when machines become prevalent? What happens when machines can think like humans or look like humans? What what happens to the world? Like what happens when they become more than humans like that's a fear but it's not necessarily overtly horror the one move the one weakness for the movie for me is just the fact that it tries to be a a movie that's in the future and it doesn't quite have the budget to do it Mm. as well as it could i feel like it could have just been like it takes place today but there happens to be this guy who's making a Who's like developing this thing called STEM that can communicate with people? I guess maybe STEM might be too futuristic of a thing because it is an AI essentially. That it that just seems like it's a way to bridge the gap between. Because I that, that's like the thing that surprises Gray is that it's has its own independent artificial intelligence right. from him. He's not really told about this ahead of time, and he finds out later because. That's the uh, that's the real thing. It's like a Trojan horse where it's like, you th- oh, you're going to get to walk again. But actually, there's this um, there's this guy who's going to be telling you things and uh, he's he's not a human. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe maybe Lee Winnell felt like, OK, it needs to be in the future because we don't quite have A.I. Because if you talk to your fucking if you talk to your fucking Siri, it's just going to be like it's going to be telling you terrible jokes and it's yeah. going to, and it's going to be like not hearing you properly. Like we don't, we're not there. Like I'm not afraid of any AI today. It's way too stupid unless it's just pretending to be stupid, I guess. Uh, I, I am afraid of the concept of having a voice inside my head. That's not your voice doc. If it, it's, it's, yes. I, I don't want a computer in my brain telling me what to do. I just want to open wound. I put a baseball cap over that where you can just talk right into my brain. Yeah, I'll just have like a a, a soup can yes. with a string attached yep. directly to your brain. Yeah. I'll just I'll just be talking to you like that. Yep, from Akron, Ohio, all the way to Castle Wolfula. That's a long string. Yeah, yeah. that's a lot of string. Where does this? Uh, we know it ranks number one for you. What's your score? Well, upgrade rates for me a nine out of ten and i wow. rank it number one i rank it number one as you say it yes. wow yeah i'm right there with you man that's pretty high for dr wolfilo wolfilo though i'm not gonna lie like i've i've watched you for years and you're nine out of tens that means you really like this movie well it might also just because this is the only one of these five movies that i went into completely fresh i didn't know I knew very little about it, so it was definitely a fresh experience. But like, I really enjoyed it. Ultimately, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just a really cool cyberpunk movie, and you don't get a lot of those, especially pure cyberpunk, where it's just like, yeah, the world's gonna be terrible. It's not. It's not gonna just be cool shit. We're not gonna have flying cars or anything. Like, <laughs> not gonna have anything cool. It's just going to be AI eventually takes over and we're all fucked. So, you know, that's just you got to deal with that knowledge. <laughs> you got to <laughs> you got to face it. No hoverboards, no telescopic baseball bats. Not none of that. Not no no jackets that self-dry. 
those self-lacing shoes, just total AI domination, a complete and total collapse of and crushing of the human spirit and the emergence of an entirely new apex species. And I welcome that. I welcome that. So this was a happy ending for me. <laughs> All right, it's time for our recap. Coming to dead last for me is The Purge, which you give a 3.5 out of 10. Number four was Sinister. You get into the overt bagul stuff. That's where it starts to lose me. 7.5 out of 10. Happy Death Day comes in with an 8. It's the charm of the lead actress. Uh, they don't do enough with the premise. And at the same time, the premise does feel a little worn. And the slasher elements kind of seem forgotten. Uh, coming to number two is an underseen, underappreciated film. Of course, it is Upgrade. I give it an 8.75 out of 10. And number one, uh, just because I think the obviously the budget's higher, the direction is better, and the performance in particular of James McAvoy is absolutely stellar. It is split, which I give an 8.9 out of 10. Doc, what's your recap? All right, my recap is at number five, The Purge. Five out of 10 is the rating. Number four, Happy Death Day. A six out of 10 was the rating for that film. Number three, Split, eight out of 10 for me. And number two, Sinister. Another 8 out of 10. And finally, number one, Upgrade gets a 9 out of 10 for me. I just really enjoyed it. I went completely unspoiled for this uh, particular film. And, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to be spoiled. Um, <laughs> if you, So hopefully you watch the movie. Yeah. Like we said, because it's a cool movie. And it's got a great twist. And it's just got a great, you know, it's just got a great, premise i mean it is like six million dollar man but it's like what if what if he what if he fucking killed people what if he didn't hang out with bigfoot what if he actually killed people all right doc of the five films we watched this week what is your recommendation of the week all right the recommendation i guess i it has to be upgrade because i'm an underwatched you. movie yeah i'm with you and it it's just got some the performances aren't the best, but it's just got that premise and it's got that twist and it's got that great cyberpunk ethos going for it. Even though the world isn't as great as it could be with a higher budget, just the fact that it has such a bleak ending, like it's so, it's so great. Cause it's like when you get a great bleak ending, it's just, it's just magnificent. It really sticks with you. <laughs> On our next episode, we'll be ranking the films of Stephen King, the good ones, which includes 1986's Stand By Me, 1976's Carrie, 1980's The Shining, 1994's The Shawshank Redemption, and 2017's It. All right, Doc, I've kept you long enough. It is my honor, sir, to host you here. I hope one day not just have a can in my head and a string to your heart, but I hope one day you look at me and say, that is a man worthy of knighthood in my kingdom. Uh, and I hope that when it all comes to an end and when AI consumes us all, I hope that I one day can be with you in paradise.
Yes, just keep following that dream. We will soon be equals. We will soon be, we will soon be brethren under the watchful eye of our robot overlords. Yes. And it will all be worth it in the end. Right now I serve dark movie overlords, but if I could pivot, make a career change, and serve robot overlords, eh, it, you know, it, it, it'd be an upgrade. Whoa. Like the movie. Like Holy the shit. movie. Oh, God, yes. It's beautiful. Oh, and it's absolutely, it would be absolutely sinister. Uh, Okay. (laughs) My eyes have seen the glory. (laughs) I'm split down the middle about all of this. I'm happy death day, and I think after this... I think after this podcast, I'll I'm going to be purging. Uh, <laughs> you did binge first, so now comes the purge. Yes. yes. All right, Doc. Where can we find you on the interwebs? You're on Twitter. You're on YouTube. Give all your credentials. What do you got coming up? What are you doing? What's goulash up to these days? I am on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Doctor Wolfula. So check me out there. I'm going to be having some new videos this week and the intervening weeks. I've been working on a lot of stuff. Goulash will be returning as well. So check out the Gulag channel, my spinoff channel. I'll be working on three new videos for that channel as well. So definitely check out all my uh, different uh, places on the web. If you like this little podcast episode, I'd appreciate you checking out my little you know, YouTube videos as well. Yeah, very much so. And if you have followed Dr. Wolfula here to binge movies and you like what you hear, check out some other episodes we have. Maybe hit the subscribe, maybe hit the like button, maybe leave us five-star reviews. you got to trick the algorithm because yes. the current robot overlords are kind of dumb and uh, and they're very greedy. So they only promote... They don't have taste yet. They, they don't just have need taste. to program taste in exactly. And then we will all be sitting pretty. Yeah. I got to beat NPR. I got to beat NPR. That's I'm in competition uh, yeah. against public radio, folks. We need a purge. We need a purge to thin out the ranks of NPR. We got to get rid Let's of all those survive. tote bags. All those tote bags and Birkenstocks. Get them the fuck uh. out of here. Praise the new founding father, Dr. Wolfula. Eat his goo! Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely, I want to plug the the goo. (laughs) Hit me up. I got plenty of goo to go around, (laughs) ladies. (laughs) Ladies and monsters, Dr. Wolfula is available. You can find him on Tinder, Bumble, Hinge. Uh, wherever wherever monsters can be found, looking to looking to release the goo, uh, you can find them there. And of course, uh, you can find me on all our social medias and everything else like that at Binge Movies. If you're already listening to the show, then everything's in the links below. So until next time, binge on. Mm-hmm.